Every time I come here, uh, Laura does it all. Um, now, it shows me one thing, that we're both on the same wavelength. Uh, we're both tuned into the same source. Um, but she said a lot of things, which I'm going to say this morning. Um, so really, I'm only endorsing what Laura has already said and has already shared. And uh, Matthew 5, verse 5, reminds us, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But I want to share some words from Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and the first 17 verses. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still, therefore, before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. And though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy. To slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts. And their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken. But the Lord upholds the righteous. Now, Laura's already said it this morning. And I'm sure that uh, in this series it has already been said. And uh, no doubt it will be said again before the end of the series that whenever Jesus spoke these particular words on the Sermon of the Mount, it turned the whole of popular thinking upside down. And not everyone was going to welcome with open arms what Jesus had been sharing with them. Remember, these people that were there were a people under the cosh of the Romans. They had long awaited the arrival of a Messiah who would restore them to their rightful place as they saw it in the known world. And instead, what does he talk about? He talks about the poor in spirit. He talks about the mourning. He talks about the persecuted and the downtrodden as being the ones who were going to be blessed and be happy. Now, this morning, we also think about the meek, whom Jesus said and the psalmist had said before him would inherit the earth. But whenever you you read these uh, Beatitudes, I think you have to be a person who's either cup half empty or cup half full type person. Because those whose cups were half empty 
would see this as not very much of an encouragement. And it would only be endorsing their doleful positions. But for those people who were cup half full, these words were going to have a dramatic impact. Surely these words would be an encouragement to those whom society had pushed down, who the authorities were trying to keep in their place. And whereas everyday people may take encouragement from the words Jesus spoke, maybe it was those in authority, those who had the power, who were sweating under their robes and under their uniforms. There's surely only a massive show of force. A great deal of aggression would... uh, accomplish such a a monumental task that Jesus was now talking about. Our modern society tells us that the more we assert and express ourselves, the more we organize and demonstrate our powers and abilities, the more we are likely to succeed. But the Reverend Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, The Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, suggests that each of these Beatitudes is connected to another um, and connected to the previous in this sequence. He says that those who would acknowledge that they are poor in spirit will find themselves in a condition of mourning for the sinful state that they find themselves in. And from that sinful state, they will progress then to this state of meekness and humility. So if you follow the whole sequence through, you'll find that connection um, of each of these um, Beatitudes. But what is meekness? Well, <laughs> Laura's already told you, so bang goes that chapter. Um, I think what we need to do is to get an understanding of what meekness is and what meekness is not. The dictionary defines meekness or the meek as being humble, compliant, and submissive. Now, does that mean that Jesus um, means that for every one of us who call themselves children of God, children of the kingdom, we should be signed up members of the dependent order of really meek and timid souls, or to use their acronym, DORMATS? A society whose official badge is an amber light and whose motto is the meek shall inherit the earth if that's all right with everybody else. This is how the world sees meekness. This is the world's definition of meekness. But like many other misunderstandings in respect of the spiritual things, the world is wrong. Because to them, meek people are equated with weakness. Those who are timid, those who are fearful, those who are shy and frightened, those who lack in self-confidence, those who are simply very nice people. Meekness is not something that we can get biologically. Again, Dr. Lloyd-Jones highlights, some people are just naturally nice people. But then again, so are some dogs and some cats. And some are naturally nicer than other dogs or cats. Being nice and easy to get along with does not mean that that person is a meek person. And the world around us will see 
uh, us um, meek people as those who will look for a peaceful solution at any price. Those who will compromise their stance just for a quiet life. But again, that is not meekness. Meekness is equated with great strength, great power, and great authority. According to God's word, meekness is closely related to humility, which, as you know, is one of those qualities of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about to the Galatian church. It is allowing the one who is meek and lowly at heart to rule our lives, to rule our emotions, to rule our behavior. Meekness, like all of the fruit of the Spirit, is simply Jesus living in us. And whenever we realize our poverty of spirit, whenever we realize our state of unworthiness, we realize our total dependence on God and His grace. Because it is only God and His grace that can lift us up. The psalmist. You read through the psalm. I love reading the psalms because it's, it's almost as if the various psalmists, when they come to get together, and particularly David, are going through a course of therapy because they usually start off having a whinge and a moan at God. Um, why have you allowed this to happen? Why are people doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing? Where are you? Why have you deserted me? And by the end of the psalm, as he goes through this list of complaints and moans and groans, we usually find, but blessed are you, O Lord. You are the one who lifts me up and stands my feet in a rock. And that's why I take encouragement from the Psalms. Because here is David who's been through that process. One who has gone through all of these situations in life. One who was meek, but he was also powerful. But one who admitted that he needed God's help to lift him out of, as he said, that miry pit and plant his feet on a strong rock. The Bible itself is full of meek people and demonstrates uh, demonstrations of how it's played out in people's lives. Abraham showed that meekness whenever he with his nephew Lot had a little bit of a, a dispute or rather the dispute arose between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot in Genesis 13. Instead of exerting his authority, because Abraham was the elder man, was the, the head of the clan as such, and should have made the initial decision, he offered Lot to make his choice. You can decide between the the unfertile hilly country or the fertile valley down here. And lots like men. I wonder if um, Martin would have been so spiritual now. Given that choice, what would he have chosen? Because um, he was extremely spiritual this morning. Is he always like a... No, is he? <laughs> uh, it's a good job we can say that and he's not here. Um, but here we have Lot chose the fertile ground and Abraham was given the hilly country and he went off with no murmuring, no complaining. He forwent his rights in order to allow Lot 
to do his thing. Moses, another great man of the Bible, yielded himself to the will of God. And whenever he was instructed by God to go back and confront Pharaoh, who would have so easily put him to death because there was a death sentence hanging over Moses for that revenge killing that he'd carried out before escaping into the wilderness. Or how about Moses, the one leading a people who have seemed to have forgotten their deliverance from Egypt and all that they suffered and all they seem to do is whinge and moan all the time. They never seem to be happy. Moses demonstrates a very important principle of biblical meekness which is shown towards God because Moses in his meek and humble state was humble before God, sensitive to his will, not the whims and the fancies of the people, Not throwing a tantrum and storming away and saying, oh, well, if that's what you're going to be like, do it yourself. He was yielding. He was not willing to yield to a principle of righteousness or to compromise with the evil of the people. He took his stand. But David, a great psalmist, Israel's greatest king, demonstrated meekness in his dealing with Saul. Because here he was, whenever Saul had lost his mind, partly due to David's rising popularity, the fact that Samuel had anointed him to be the next king of Israel. Saul had threatened David's life and at one time had even thrown a spear at him. And I don't think it was anything to do with David's music playing. It was just Paul and Saul wanted rid of him. And um, the nearest thing was a javelin. And he tried to spear David. David went on the run. But it was at the caves of Adullam. Whenever being chased around by Saul and his soldiers. David had the ideal opportunity. Power within his hands. To solve his problem. Saul was sleeping. And David could have quite easily. Got rid of Saul. Got rid of his problem. But instead, he chose to spare Saul's life. He knew that God had promised him the kingdom, just the same as Abraham knew that God had given him a promise. Out of you, all the nations of the land will be blessed. David had been promised the kingdom, and David chose to wait God's time. He had suffered many injustices at the hand of Saul. But David demonstrated meekness in refusing to seek vengeance but it's not just in the Old Testament you find it, look at the New Testament Luke tells of Stephen he tells of Paul in the Acts of the Apostles both who suffered wrongly at the hands of others, yet neither of them sought revenge now surely the best New Testament example of meekness is Jesus himself The one who said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And who also said of himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. Now, I don't know how, we don't seem to sing it so often nowadays. But in my Salvation Army days, we were quite often singing, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And yet, whenever you see Jesus coming into the temple, he was anything but meek and mild. 
he came in and threw over tables. He had a whip in his hand and he was using it. Now, you don't think of Jesus being very meek and mild then. But even in those moments, he had much more power at his disposal than he was willing to leash out. His anger was thrown at those who were desecrating God's holy place. His anger was at those who were abusing and putting down the people and cheating them. Those who were putting a price on access to God whenever he had come to open the way. But then think of the upper room. As Jesus took bread and he broke it and he passed it to each of his disciples. As he took the cup and took it, passed around to them and said to them, take and drink every one of you. He knew what was on their hearts. He knew that before the night would be out, one of them would deny him, one of them would betray him. And by the end of the evening, all who had been sitting around that table would run off and desert him and leave him. Think of the meekness of Jesus as he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, Nevertheless, Father, not my will, Yours be done. On the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus was unwilling to yield a principle of righteousness or to compromise with evil. He had that power within his hands and he could have unleashed that power, but he kept it. Meekness, as Laura told us, is under control. Graham Kendrick, I think, best sums it up in the words, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God. But Paul, also writing to the church at Philippi, highlights the meekness of Jesus whenever he wrote to them, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now those are nice comforting words. But you also need to bear in mind what the fifth verse says. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. This was an instruction to the Christians in Philippi. It's an instruction to us as followers of Christ, as part of the body of Christ today. Our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, who had the power of creation within his grasp, didn't steal God's place, but rather made himself nothing, took the nature of a servant and became humble even to death. 
But what is meekness for? Meekness is something that is necessary in our lives that we might receive God's word. In James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, we are told, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Now, there are too many people today, even within the church, who will take God's word, the bits and the pieces that satisfy them and back up what they want to think and do anyway. And they will use those verses to their benefit. But what we need to do is remember what God's word says in its entirety. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. What good is it if we listen to umpteen sermons, if we read the Bible from cover to cover in every version that is available, if we don't do something with it? Whenever God's word challenges our way of living and thinking, then meekness should lead us to yield to God's word. Apply it. Live it out in our lives. It takes courage today to communicate God's word without compromise. But it also takes humility in order to come across, not to come across as being arrogant and proud. Meekness will allow us to be confident in our stand, yet it will humble us in what we say. And knowing that it is only by the grace of God that we ourselves have come to know the truth and the love of God in the first place. And so whenever we are sharing that message with those around us, let's not think that we're standing on a pedestal shouting down. But that we are in the same place as the person we're sharing with, recipients of God's grace. We need to remember where we've come from. We need to remember where we've come from, spiritually speaking, before we stand there telling other people of their faults and failings. Meekness, as shown by Christ, will cause us to bear with much patience and long-suffering the injustice done to us by others around us. These Beatitudes go on to say, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. It's happened before. It will happen again. And the God who sustained the prophets of old is the God who sustains us today. We may not face persecution in the same way, but the snide comments, the cold shoulder, the lies that will be told, the abuse that we will receive, we may think we're hard done by. But God gives his grace to be able to bear those things. 
Paul, a Peter, writing in a time of persecution, says that we should clothe ourselves with the beauty that comes within, from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. The meek are not weak. The weak are the meek are spiritually strong. Meek people are those who keep their strength under control, not in the sense of wielding power over others, but in being like Jesus and submitting to God's will. In the film, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, how many have seen it? Oh, yes. I I love watching films because there's always something in it. I've, I've got a a cupboard that is gradually filling up with DVDs because every time I buy one, I don't necessarily watch it there and then, but sometimes I will watch it and my head starts thinking about the various messages that could come out of them. So I've got like a whole cupboard full of sermons um, that can be shown from films. But in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, that scene towards the end of the film where Indiana Jones is solving the cryptic clues to gain access to the Holy Grail. The first has been attempted unsuccessfully by a number of the soldiers. Only the penitent man may pass. But he works it out that the penitent man would be humble before a holy God and must bow the knee in meekness and humility before a holy God. And he gets access. All because he remembered a penitent man must bow the knee, and only a penitent man may pass. Meek people live lives under the control of God. Now, I have listened to the podcasts. Well, I listened to one podcast, and I know that Doug liked to show his prowess with Greek. Um, and for those of you that love your Greek, here's another Greek word for you. Just so that I can join the elite queue of people who use Greek words and really haven't a clue what they mean. But the words that's used here, or one of the words that's used for meekness is proutis. And in this we have the picture, uh, it describes a horse being controlled by a bridle. And for some, meekness in our lives is exactly that. Laura has already mentioned about the tongue being controlled. Um, James reminds us of those words. But in order to live humble lives, we need to be under the control of God. We want to storm off and go our own ways. We want to do our own thing. We want to have everything our own way. We want retaliation. We want revenge. We want to hit back. But that's not the picture of the meek that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about those whose lives are controlled by God's Holy Spirit. 
James Packer, a great Christian writer, wrote, those who are meek, that is, prepared to forgo their rights in this world, if that's what God requires of them, will inherit the earth. But when we talk about inheriting the earth, you know, we think of ourselves, we think of material things around us. We think of the possessions and the wealth of this world. And yet, Paul, writing to that early church in Ephesus, in the first chapter, verses 3 to 14, reminds us of the spiritual blessings that we have that God wants to give us. If we are prepared to live lives that are meek and in humility to a holy God, then we have all of these things. He writes, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before God hung stars in the space and planets and all the others, before he made a blade of grass on the ground, before he yelled out, which is my understanding of the Big Bang. When God spoke, let there be light. I'm sure it wasn't a whisper in the universe. Um, But when God spoke, let there be light, He knew us. And in us, He had chosen for us to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, not just dribbled on us, but he lavished on us With, um, he's lavished it on me so much I forgot my place. He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment and to bring everything under heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And he goes on to say that you were included in this when you heard the word of truth. And having believed it, you were sealed with the mark of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It is just a sample. It is a down payment of everything that is yet to be ours. The meek shall not just inherit the earth, but the meek will also inherit the heavens and the earth. The meek will inherit the spiritual blessings which God brings for his eternal glory. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, for they shall inherit the earth. What will meekness mean in my life? What does meekness mean to me? Maybe 
I need to be brought under control. Maybe I need to be brought to that place where I am teachable. Maybe meekness means that we shouldn't be judgmental. That we should control what we say towards others. Meekness is not weakness. But rather, meekness is a great strength. May we humble ourselves before Almighty God that in due course He may exalt us to the highest place. Jesus, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, humbled Himself, became obedient to death, and I stopped short of the bit, which is the good bit at the end. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and everything in heaven and on earth should give glory. Everything should exalt him to the praise and the glory of God. This morning, let us go out of here remembering that being meek people is not being weak people. God does not want us to be uh, signed up members of the dependent order of really meek and timid souls. He doesn't call us to be doormats. He doesn't want us to be people who believe that the meek shall inherit the earth if that's all right with everybody else around me. But the God calls us to humble ourselves before him with the assurance and the promise that one day he will exalt us to the highest place. Shall we pray? Father God, this morning, my words have been feeble, but I pray that your words will have spoken to each of our hearts and that by your Holy Spirit, you will apply everything that you want for us to our very beings and our living. We don't want to just to be reading these words Lord, we want them to be reflected in our lives. We ask, Lord, that you will help us to be humble before you, that we might be guided and taught and led by you. And Father, we can only do this here because of your great grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that you have given to us through your word and the promise of eternal life the promises of those spiritual blessings that are ours, laid up on high. We can enjoy them in the here and now, but they're only a token of what is yet to come. Lord, may we be meek and humble people in this world that our lives might reflect to others the glory of your name and the wonders of your love. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.